26. F as it does so, for it is about as commonplace a looking street as one may see. There is simply nothing about it of distinction save its rather handsome name. Elsewhere, however, there are several skyscrapers, most of them good-looking buildings. It seemed to me also that I had never seen so many banks as in Savannah, and I am told that it island indeed, a great banking city, and that the record of the Savannah banks for weathering financial storms is very fine. On a good many corners where there are not banks there are clubs, and some of these clubs are delightful and thoroughly metropolitan in character. I know of no city in the north, having a population corresponding to that of Charleston or of Savannah, which has clubs comparable with the best clubs of these cities, or of New Orleans, when it is considered that of the population of these southern cities approximately one half, representing Negroes, must be deducted in considering the population from which eligibles must be drawn. The excellence of southern clubs becomes remarkable in the extreme. Savannah, by the way, holds one national record in the matter of clubs. It had the first golf club founded in America. Exactly when the club was founded I cannot say. But Mr. H. H. Brune, of Savannah, has in his possession an invitation to a golf club ball held in the old city hall in the year 1811. The commercial ascendancy of Savannah over Charleston is due largely to natural causes. The port of Savannah drains exports from a larger and richer territory than is tapped by Charleston. Bonu railroads are greatly improving Charleston's situation in this respect. Savannah is a shipping port for cotton from a vast part of the lower and central south, and is also a great port for lumber, and the greatest port in the world for naval stores. I did not know what naval stores were when I went to Savannah. The term conjured up in my mind pictures of piles of rope, pulleys and anchors. But those are not naval stores. Naval stores are gum products, such as resin and turpentine, which are obtained from the long-leafed pines of South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama and Florida. The traveler through these states cannot have failed to notice caches on the tree trunks along the way. From these the resinous sap exudes and is caught in cups, after which it is boiled, there in the woods, and thus separated into turpentine, resin and pitch. Vast quantities of these materials are stored on the great modern docks of Savannah. It is said that owing to a wasteful methods, the long-leaf pine forests are being rapidly destroyed, and that this industry will die out before very long because the eager grabbers of today's dollars, having no thought for the future, fail to practice scientific forestry. All about Savannah, within easy reach by trolley, motor or boat, lie pleasant retreats and interesting things to see. The roads of the region built by convict labor, are of the finest, and the convict prison camps are worth a visit. In the Brown Farm Camp, living conditions are certainly more sanitary than in 99 out of 100 Negro homes. The place fairly shines with cleanliness, and there are many cases in which regulars at this camp are no sooner released than they offend again with the deliberate purpose of carrying out what may be termed a back-to-the-farm movement. The color line is drawn in southern jails and convict camps as elsewhere. White prisoners occupy one barracks, Negroes another. The food and accommodations for both is the same. The only race discrimination I could discover was that when white prisoners are punished by flogging, they are flogged with their clothes on, whereas, with Negroes, the back is exposed. The men in this camp are minor offenders and wear khaki overalls in place of the stripes in which the worst criminals, quartered in another camp, are dressed. Strict discipline is maintained, but the life is wholesome. The men are marched to a work in the morning and back at night escorted by guards who carry loaded shotguns, and who always have with them a pack of ugly bloodhounds to be used in case escape is attempted. 
all the drives in this region are extremely picturesque, for the live oak grows here at its best, and is to be seen everywhere, its trunk often twenty or more feet in circumference, its wide-spreading branches reaching out their tips to meet those of other trees of the same species, so that sometimes the whole world seems to have a groy in sealing a foliage, a ceiling which inevitably suggests a great shadowy cathedral from whose airy arches hang long gray pennons of Spanish moss, like faded, tattered battle flags, on country roads you will come, now and then, upon a negro burial ground of very curious character, there may be such negro cemeteries in the upper southern states, but if so I have never seen them, in this portion of Georgia they are numerous, and their distinguishing mark consists in the little piles of household effects with which every grave is covered, I do not know whether this is done to propitiate ghosts and devils generally believed to haunt these graveyards, or whether it is the idea that the deceased can still find use for the assortment of pitchers, bowls, cups, saucers, knives, forks, spoons, statuettes, alarm clocks, and heaven only knows what else, which were his treasured earthly possessions. In Savannah, I had heard Commodore Tadmall, who used to live at Bonaventure, credited with having originated the saying, blood is thicker than water but I am inclined to believe that the Commodore merely made apposite use of an old formula. The story is told of one of the old Tadmalls that in the midst of a large dinner party which he was giving at his mansion at Bonaventure Plantation, a servant entered and informed him that the house was on fire, whereupon the old thoroughbred, instead of turning fireman, persisted in his role of host, ordering the full dining room equipment to be moved out upon the lawn, where the company remained at dinner while the house burned down. Most of the old houses of the plantations on the river have long since been destroyed. That at Whitehall was burned by the Negroes when Sherman's army came by. But the old trees and gardens still endure, including a tall hedge of holly which is remarkable even in this fluorescent region. The old plantation house at the Hermitage, approached by a handsome avenue of live oaks, is, I believe, the only one of those ancient mansions which still stands, and it does not stand very strongly, for, Beautiful though it is in its abandonment and decay, it is like some noble old gentleman dying alone in an attic, of age, poverty and starvation dying proudly as poor Charles Gaillard did in New Orleans. The Hermitage has, I believe, no great history save what is written in its old chipped walls of stucco-covered brick, and the slave cabins which still form a background for it. It is a story of baronial decay, resulting, doubtless, from the termination of slavery. Hordes of Negroes of the new issue infest the old slave cabins and on sight of visitors rush out with almost violent demands for money, in return for which they wish to sing. Their singing island however, the poorest Negro singing I have ever heard, all the spontaneity, all the relish, all the vividness which makes Negro singing wonderful, has been removed, here, by the fixed idea that singing is not a form of expression but a mere noise to be given vent to for the purpose of extracting bakshish. It is saddening to witness the degradation, through what may be called professionalism, of any great racial quality. These Negroes, half mendicant, half traitors on the reputation of their race, express professionalism in its lowest form. They are more pitiful than the professional tarantella dancers who await the arrival of tourists. In certain parts of southern Italy, as spiders await flies, Chapter LIRMIS, JAX, and some Florida gossip, or Mema Uray intending of investments. Orange planin, pine, hotel, or sanitarium, what above this yaf can be your line, said Neil a Florida ghost, 
it is the boast of Jacksonville known locally by the convenient abbreviation, Jacks, that it stands as the gate to Florida. But the fact that a gate is something through which people pass usually without stopping causes some anguish to an active chamber of commerce, which has been known to send bands to the railway station to serenade tourists in the hope of enticing them to alight. If I were to personify Jacksonville, it would be, I think, as an amiable young woman, member of a domestic family, whose papa and mamma had moved to Florida from somewhere else for it is as hard to find a native of Jacksonville in that city as to find a native New Yorker in New York. Miss Jacksonville's papa, as I conceive it, has prospered while daughter has been growing up, and has bought for her a fine large house on a main corner, where many people pass. Having reached maturity Miss Jacksonville wishes to be in Florida society to give, as it were, house parties, like those of her neighbors, the other winter resorts. She sees people passing her doors all winter long, and she says to herself, I must get some of these people to come in. To this end she brushes off the walk, lays a carpet on the steps, puts flowers in the vases, orders up a lot of fancy food and drink from the very admirable Hotel Mason, turns on the lights and the victor, leaves the front door invitingly open, and hopes for the best. Soon people begin to come in but as she meets them she discovers that most of them have come to see Papa on business, only if you have come on her account. They help themselves to sandwiches, look about the room, and listen to what Miss Jacksonville has to say. Time passes. Nothing happens. She asks how they like the chairs. Very comfortable. They assure her. To have some more to eat and drink. Says she. What is your history? A guest asks her presently. I haven't much history to speak of, she replies. They tell me Andrew Jackson had his territorial government about where my house stands, but I don't know much about it. We don't care much about history in our family. What do you do with yourself? Oh, I keep house, and go occasionally to the women's club, and in the evenings father tells me about his business. Very nice, says one guest, whom we shall picture as a desirable and wealthy young man from the north. Now let's do something. Do you play or sing? Are you athletic? Do you go boating on the street John's River? Do you gamble? Can you make love? I dance a little and play a little golf out at the Florida Country Club, she says, with but small signs of enthusiasm. The thing I'm really most interested in though, is father's business. He lost a lot of money in the fire of 1901, but he's made it all back and a lot more besides. What about surf bathing? Asks the pleasure-seeking visitor, stifling a yawn. There's Atlantic Beach only 18 miles from here. It's a wonderful beach. Father's putting a million in improvements out there. But there's no time to go there just now. However, if you'd like to, I can take you down and show you the new docks he has built. Oh, member thanks, says the guest. I don't care for docks not. That island unless we can go boating. I'm afraid we can't do that, says Miss Jacksonville. We don't use the river much for pleasure. I can't say just why. Unless it is that everyone is too busy. But please eat something more. And do have something to drink. There's plenty for everyone. I must be running along. Says the visitor. I've been invited to call at some other houses down the block. By the way. What is the name of your neighbor next door? St. Augustine. Says Jacksonville. With a little reluctance. She is of Spanish descent and sets great store by it. If you call there she'll show you a lot of interesting old relics she has but I assure you that when it comes to commercial success her family isn't one to three with Papa. Thanks, says the visitor, but just at the moment commerce doesn't appeal to me, who lives beyond her. 
Miss Jacksonville sighs. There are some pleasant, rather attractive people named Ormond. Beyond, she says, and a lively family named Daytona next door to them. Neither family is in business. Like Papa, they just play all the time. Then come a number of modest places, and after them, in the big yellow and white house with the palm trees all around it but I'd advise you to keep away from there. Yes, you'd better go by that house. On the other side of it, in another lovely house, live some nicer, simpler people named Miami. Or if you like fishing, you might drop in on Mrs. Longkey. She's wholesome and sweet, and goes out every day to catch tarpon. Or, again, you might, what's the matter with the people in the big yellow and white house surrounded by palm trees? Why shouldn't I go there? Asks the guest. The young widow lives there, says Miss Jacksonville primly. I don't know much about her history, but she looks to me as though she had been on the stage. She's frightfully frivolous not at all one of our representative people. Ah, says the visitor. Is she pretty? Well, admits Miss Jacksonville. I suppose she is in a fast way. But she's all rouged and she overdresses. Her bathing suits are too short at the bottom and her evening gowns are too short at the top. Yes, and even at that, she has a trick of letting the shoulder straps slip off and pretending she doesn't know it has happened. What's her name? Mrs. Palm Beach. Oh, says the visitor. I've heard of her. She's always getting into the papers. Tell me more. Miss Jacksonville purses her lips and raises her eyebrows. Really, she says. I don't like to talk scandal. Oh, come on, do, pleads the visitor. Is she bad bad and beautiful and alluring? Judge for yourself, says Miss Jacksonville sharply. She keeps that enormous place of hers shut up except for about two months or so in the winter, when she comes down gorgeously dressed, with more jewelry than is worn by the rest of the neighborhood put together. Few southerners go to her house. It's full of rich people from all over the north. Is she rich? You'd think so to look at her especially if you didn't know where she got her money. But she really hasn't much of her own. She's a grafter. How does she manage it? Men give her money. But why? Because she knows how to please the rich. She understands them. She makes herself beautiful for them. She plays. And drinks. And gambles. And dances with them. And goes riding with them in wheelchairs by moonlight. And sits with them by the sea. And holds their hands and gets them sentimental. There's some sense she uses that is very seductive. None of the rest of us have been able to find out exactly what it island, but how does she get their money? She never tells a hard luck story. You can't get money out of the kind she goes with. That way, she takes the other tack. She whispers to them, and laughs with them, and fondles them, and makes them love her. And when they love her she says, but dearie, be reasonable. Think how many people love me. I like to have you here, you fat old darling with the gold jingling in your pockets, but I can't let you sit with me unless you pay. Yes, I'm expensive, I admit, but don't you love the scent I wear? Don't you adore my tropical winter sea, my gardens, my palm trees, my moonlight, and my music? They are all for you, dearie so why shouldn't you pay? Don't I take you from the northern cold and slush? Haven't I built a siding for your private car? and made an anchorage for your yacht, don't I let you do as you please, don't I keep you amused, don't you love to look at me, don't I put my warm red lips to yours, well, then, dearie, what is all your money for, that is her way of talking to them, that is the sort of creature that she is, shocking, says the visitor, rising and looking for his hat, you say hers is the third large house from here, yes, 
Remember, she's as mercenary as can be. Thanks, I can take care of myself. If she's amusing that suits me. Goodbye. In the vestibule he pauses to count his money. Jacksonville seems to be a nice girl. He says to himself as he hastens down the block. I imagine she might make a good wife and mother, and that she'd help her husband on in business. However, I'm not thinking of getting married and settling down in Florida. I'm out for some fun. I think I'll run in and call upon Mrs. Palm Beach. Chapter LII Passionate Palm Beach A very merry, dancing, drinking, laughing, quaffing and in thinking time. Dryden, like all places in which idlers try to avoid finding out that they are idle. Palm Beach has very definite customs as to where to go, and at what time to go there, excepting in its hours for going to bed and getting up. It runs on schedule. The official day begins with the bathing hour half past 11 to half past 12 when the two or three thousand people from the pair of vast hotels assemble before the casino on the beach. Golfers will, of course, be upon the links before this hour. Fishermen will be casting from the pier or will be out in boats searching the sailfish that being the fashionable fish at the present time. Ladies of excessive circumference will be panning rapidly along the walks their eyes holding that look of dreamy determination which painters put into the eyes of martyrs, and which a fixed intention to lose twenty pounds puts into the eyes of banding women. So, too, certain gentlemen of swarthy skin make their way to the casino sun parlor, where they disrobe and bake until the bathing hour. The object of this practice is to acquire, as nearly as a white man may, the complexion of a mulatto, and it is surprising to see how closely the skins of some more ardent members of the Browning Club as this group is called, match those of their chair boys. The underlying theory of the Browning Club is that a triple-plated coat of tan, taken north in March, advertises the wearer as having been at Palm Beach during the entire winter, thus establishing him as a man not merely of means, but of great endurance. The women of Palm Beach seem to be divided into two distinct schools of thought on the subject of tanning, while none of them compete with the radicals of the Browning Club. One may nevertheless observe that, in evening dress, many young ladies reveal upon their necks, shoulders, and arms, stenciled outlines of the upper margins of their bathing suits. Ladies of the opposing school, upon the contrary, guard the whiteness of their skins as jealously as the men of the Browning Club guard their blackness, rather than be touched with tan. Many ladies of the latter group deny themselves the pleasures of the surf. The parasols beneath which they arrive upon the sands are not lowered until they are safely seated beneath the green and blue striped canvas tops of their beach chairs, and it may be observed that even then they are additionally fortified against the light, by wide black hats and thick dark veils straight to mask their faces up to the eyes, harem, veils, they call them the name, however, signifying nothing polygamous. A pleasant diversion at the beginning of the bathing hour occurs when some mere one-horse millionaire from a middle western town appears on the beach with his family. He is newly arrived and is under the fond delusion that he is as good as anybody else and that his money is as good as any other person's money. Seeing the inviting rows of beach chairs, he and his family plump into several of them. They are hardly settled. However, when the man who attends to the beach chairs comes and asks them to get out, saying that the chairs are reserved, the other thinks the man is lying like a head waiter, and demands to know for whom the chairs are reserved. In reply the beach chair man mentions, with suitable deference, the name of Mrs. Hopkinson Skipkinson Jumpkinson Jones. Well, cries the Middle Westerner, Mrs. Jones isn't here yet, is she? She can't use the chairs now, can she? If she isn't here, 
even without this evidence that he does not grasp at all, the seriousness of the beach chair situation, the fact that the uncouth stranger has referred to Mrs. H.S. Jumpkinson Jones nearly as Mrs. Jones, brands him among the Palm Beach regulars who have overheard him, as a barbarian of the barbarians. People in neighboring chairs at once turn their backs upon him and glance at each other knowingly with raised eyebrows. At this juncture, let us hope, the daughter of the intruder manages to pry him loose, let us hope also that she takes him aside and tells him what everybody ought to know, namely, that Mrs. H.S. Jumpkinson Jones has been a society leader ever since the journal published the full-page Sunday story about her having gold fillings put in her Boston Terrier's teeth. That was away back in 1913, just before she was allowed to get her divorce from Royal Tewksbury Johnson III of Paris, Newport, and New York. The day after the divorce she married her present husband, and up to a last year, when the respective wives of a munitions millionaire and a moving picture millionaire began to cut in on her, no one thought of denying her claim to be the most wasteful woman in Palm Beach. True, she may not come down to the beach today. But in that case it is obviously proper that her chairs including those of her dog and her husband remain magnificently vacant throughout the bathing hour. The Lady Island however, likely to appear, she will be wearing one of the 70 hats which, we have learned by the papers, she brought with her, and a pint or so of her lesser pearls. Her dog which is sometimes served beside her at table at the beach club, and whose diet is the same as her own. Even two strawberries and cream followed by a demi-tasse will be in attendance, and her husband, whose diet is even richer, may also appear if he has recovered from his matutinal headache. Here she will sit through the hour, gossiping with her friends, watching the antics of several beautiful, dubious women, camp followers of the rich, who add undoubted interest to the place, calling languidly to her dog, Guns, Tutu, Guns Bite, above all waiting patiently, with crossed knees for news service photographers to come and take her picture a picture which, when we see it presently in Vogue, Vanity Fair, or a Sunday newspaper, will present indisputable proof that Mrs. H.S. Jumpkinson Jones and the ladies sitting near her also with legs crossed refrain from wearing bathing suits neither through excessive modesty nor for fear of revealing deformity of limb. Many a Mrs. H.S. Jumpkinson Jones has beaten her away to glory by the Palm Beach route. Many of the names which sound vaguely familiar when you read them in connection with the story of a jewel robbery, in lists of those present, or in an insinuating paragraph in the tattered copy of Town Topics, which you pick up, in lieu of reading matter, from the table in your dentist's waiting room, first broke into the paradise of the society column by way of this resort, for a woman with money and the press agent type of mind it is not a difficult thing to accomplish, one must think of sensational things to do invent a new fat in dress or send one's dog riding each day in a special wheelchair, or bring down one's own private dancing instructor or golf instructor at 5.000 for the season. Above all, one must be nice to the correspondents of newspapers. Never must one forget to do that. Never must one imagine oneself so securely placed in society columns that one may forget the reporters who gave one that place. One lady who, for several seasons, figured extensively in the news from Palm Beach fell into this error, she thought herself safe, and altered her manner toward newspaper folk, but, alas, thereupon they altered their manner toward her, the press clippings sent by the bureau to which she subscribed became fewer and fewer, her sensational feats went unnoticed, at last came a ball one of the three big balls of the season, 
a New York paper printed a list of names of persons who went to the ball, a column of names in very small type. Lying in bed a few mornings later she read through the names and came to the end without finding her own, thinking that she must have skipped it. She read the names over again with great care. Then she sent for her husband, and he read them. When it was clear to them both that her name was actually not there, it is said she went into hysterics. At all events, her husband came down in a rage and complained to the hotel management. But what could the management do? What can they do? The woman is doomed. The Palm Beach correspondents who made her have been snubbed by her and have unanimously declared, thumbs down, it is theirs to give. But let no climber be unmindful of the fact that it is also theirs to take away. As Mrs. H.S. Jumpkinson Jones looks over the top of her hair and veil she may see a great glistening steam yacht, with rakish masts and funnel, lying off the pier head, and down on the sand she may see the young master and mistress of that yacht, a modest, attractive pair, possessors of one of the world's great fortunes, yet not nearly so elaborately dressed, nor so insistent upon their position, as the Jumpkinson Joneses. By raising the brim of her head a trifle Mrs. H.S. Jumpkinson Jones may see, sweeping in glorious circles above the yacht, the hydroplane which, when it left the edge of the beach a few minutes since, blew back with its propeller a stinging storm of sand, and caused skirts to snap like flags in a hundred mile an hour hurricane, and in that hydroplane she knows there is another multimillionaire, nearby, sitting disconsolately upon the sand are the one-horse Middle Western millionaire with his wife and daughter the three who were ousted from her seats by the beach chairman, Mrs. H.S. Jumpkinson Jones, like everyone who has spent a season, let alone half a dozen seasons, at Palm Beach, immediately recognizes the type, father as the leading merchant of his town, mother the social orbiter, daughter the regnant bill, father definitely didn't wish to come here, nor was mother anxious to, but daughter made them. Often she has read the lists of prominent arrivals at Palm Beach and seen alluring pictures of them taken on the sand. She has dreamed of the place, and in her dreams has seemed to hear the call of destiny. Who knows? May it not be at Palm Beach that she will meet him, the beautiful and wealthy scion of a noble house who so the fortune teller at the Elks Club Bazaar told her will rescue her from the narrow life at home, and transport her, as his bride, into a world of wonder and delight, and footman in knee breeches daughter insisted on Palm Beach, so mother got a lot of pretty clothes for daughter, and father purchased several yards of green and yellow railroad tickets, and off they went, they arrived at Palm Beach, they walked the miles of green carpeted corridor, they were bathed as everyone must be who sees them for the first time at the stunning size of the hotels, they looked upon the endless promenade of other visitors, they went to the beach at bathing hour, to the coconut grove at the time for tea and dancing, in wheelchairs through the jungle trail and revved it, to the waiter's cakewalk in the Poinciana dining room, to the concert at the breakers, to the palm room, and to the sea by moonlight, everywhere they went they saw people, 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 richly dressed people, gay people, people who knew quantities of other people, yet among them all was not one single being that they had ever seen before. After several days of this, father met a man he knew a business friend from Akron, a precious lot of good that did. Why didn't father know the two young men who sat last night at the next table in the dining room? Even those two would have done just now. Clearly they had been mad to know her too. For they were likewise feeling desolate. Perhaps mother can get father to scrape up an acquaintance with them. But alas, before this plan can be set in motion, 
The two young men have formed their own conclusions as to what Palm Beach is like when you do not know anybody in the place. They have departed. Next day, when mother enters daughter's room to say good night, she finds her weeping, and next day, to father's infinite relief, they start for home. So it has gone with many a Bush League bill. Even the Mrs. Jumpkin Song Joneses, satiated though they be with private cars, press notices, and Palm Beach, can hardly fail to be sensible to the almost delirious beauty of the scene at bathing hour. Nowhere is the sand more like a deep, warm dust of yellow gold, nowhere is there a margin of the earth so splashed with spots of brilliant color, sweaters, parasols, bathing suits, canvas shelters blue, green, purple, pink, yellow, orange. Scarlet vibrating together in the sharp sunlight like brush marks on a high-keyed canvas by Sorola, nowhere has flashed such living, glittering beauty as the flesh of long, white, lovely arms which flash out, cold and dripping, from the sea, nowhere does water appear less like water, more like a flowing waste of liquid emeralds and sapphires, held perpetually in cool solution and etched with a thousand gleaming, flouncing strings of pearls, over the beach lies a layer of people, formed in groups some of them costumed for the water, some for the shore, some of them known to the great lady, many of them unknown to her, the groups are forever shifting as their members rise and run down to the sea, or come back shiny and dripping, to fling themselves again upon the warm sand, roll in it, or stretch out in lazy comfort while their friends shovel it over them with their hands, now one group, or another, will rise and form a grinning row while a snap shot is taken, now they recline again, now they scamper down to see the hydroplane come in, now they return, drop to the sand, and idly watch women bathers tripping past them toward the water, here comes a girl in silken knickerbockers, with cuffs buttoning over her stockings like the cuffs of riding breeches, heads turned simultaneously as she goes by, here is a tomboy in a jockey cap, here two women wearing over their bathing suits brilliant colored satin wraps which flutter revealingly in the warm, fresh fragrant breeze, and now comes the slender, aristocratic, for in looking beauty who wears high-heeled slippers with her bathing costume, and steps gracefully to the water's edge under the shade of a bright-colored Japanese parasol, it seems that everyone must now be on the beach, but no, here come the three most wonderful of all, the three most watched, most talked about, most spoiled, most coveted young women at Palm Beach, their bathing suits are charming, very short, high-waist, and cut at the top like empire evening gowns, showing lovely arms and shoulders, hovering about them, like flies about a box of sweet, 